This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to My Tale to Tell, bringing you life stories from the varied and diverse people who live in Canterbury, New Zealand. All of these stories are read by those who wrote them as part of a Writing Your Memoir workshop and they have kindly agreed to share them with you. For privacy reasons, some of the names have been changed. Some language may offend and some content may shock you. But no life is ordinary. We all have a tale to tell. My name is Julie and this is my tale to tell. The Christchurch earthquake, natural disaster. They say what happens to us should not define us. While I can appreciate the sentiment, this experience really did shake up our lives and make us re-evaluate many things in our life. To put this few hours into context, Christchurch City in the early hours of the morning on September 4, 2010 experienced a magnitude 7.1 earthquake at 4.35am. That has its own story, but because it happened in the early hours of the morning, no one was killed. Yes, buildings fell down, and the landscape was changed. We had lots of aftershocks, and life went on. My earthquake story, Tuesday 22nd of February 2011, 12.51pm. I remember leaving our beautiful house on Huntsbury Hill. Life was good. David, my husband, had just sat down in the lounge with a homemade sandwich and the cleaner was working on our shower upstairs. I was heading off to an appointment. I was driving along, only about a kilometre from home, looking forward to a busy afternoon on autopilot. You know, as you drive along, not thinking about the road, the cars, just driving and thinking of everything else to get done before I would go and pick my daughter up after school. As I came around the roundabout at the bottom of the hill, I felt my car was bouncing around over the road. A strange sensation, and really hard to describe. I pulled over to the side of the road and my heart was racing and I realised I was shaking. What had I just experienced? A man in a white van pulled up on the other side of the road and another vehicle pulled up behind him. As I noticed all these things, I also noticed in disbelief as the road started splitting beside me. I tried to find my phone to ring David. Too much clutter in my handbag, I can never find it when I need it. It was not working, the car was still moving from side to side and I wound down the window and asked the guy in the vehicle opposite if he was okay. As I sat there attempting to stop shaking and think, I noticed the car was still moving, perhaps it could be described as a gentle rock. Then I noticed other vehicles were driving past as if nothing had happened. Two men with orange safety vests raced past, heading towards the buildings close by where dust was rising. I didn't know at the time, but buildings had crumbled, and houses made with bricks and with brick chimneys had tumbled, crushing anything in their path. The city was hurting. I had a sense of panic and unease, trying to think, what do I do? Home, school or appointment? Obviously not thinking clearly, I raced to Judy's house first. It wasn't far from where I was. So pulling out, I drove past the split in the road and headed towards my destination. There were noticeable signs something had happened on this quiet Christchurch street. 
there were burst water pipes with fountains that had popped up where you would least expect them. There were puddles of mud, later learning the mud is termed liquefaction. This was to be a major problem for many weeks to come, and our wonderful student army was born out of this challenge. What they did over the weeks after the earthquake was to go into the areas and fill up wheelbarrows of liquefaction from around houses, driveways and gardens and create mountains of the stuff. Eventually it would be trucked out of the city. Running up the drive I found Judy okay. She seemed calm and having a wooden house ensured they were not dealing with the same challenges others were. Her challenges consisted of the fish tank that was leaking. Not just a little fish tank, but a lovely big tank with beautiful tropical fish and a filter and the need for electricity. Not that I thought of all those things at the time. I said I could not get hold of David and she invited me to use the phone. I couldn't think of the number. My mind was just blank. After telling myself to calm down and just think, I remembered and dialed. It rang and rang. Still no answer. So then I was left thinking what had happened at home. I said to Judy, I have to go. Again running down the drive, I climbed in the car, still shaking, and drove. I dodged past burst water pipes, over and through liquefaction. Going up the hill, I had to navigate where the road had pushed up and then come down on top of itself. An unexpected challenge. I negotiated that and tried to ring home one more time. Later learning, all the phones were overloaded and no power meant our landline was not working. As I arrived at the school, I saw parents running, no parking and cars as far as you can see. Kashmir Primary School, just as you understand, is on Kashmir Hill. And the best of times, there is no parking. There was someone looking out for me that day because a car pulled out just above the main gate. I backed into the park and yes, my backing normally at its best was okay, but today I got into the park with just one manoeuvre. Racing away, I saw a lovely mum, Carolyn, and her son, Carson, leaving. I was heading to the classroom, and they told me they were down on the field. The field is down the hill, and I ran down. Joanne from the office was there, and telling parents, yes, that was me, to find my child and make sure the teacher of her class or herself knows they had been picked up. To get this into context, you cannot see the field, it is hidden from view, the challenge of having a school on a terraced hill. So running past, I headed to the field to find 450 kids and teachers huddled together. Oh my goodness, where is my daughter? I really only wanted to find my one and only daughter. Kids were cuddled together and there was no order or way to find your child. Every group I went past and I could not find Amelia. My eyes scanned groups, too young, older children, boys. It seemed to take forever and finally I found my daughter's teacher, Mrs Lewis. She was cuddling a group of children. Thankfully, she directed me over to where she thought Amelia was. She said, Amelia is okay, calm and collected. A week or so after this, I heard from a parent at home on the day below the school that on the day of the earthquake, all they could hear was children screaming. I found my precious daughter sitting on her own with her head down and rocking. She immediately burst into tears and said, Mum, I thought I was going to die. I said, Amelia, it's all right, it's all right, as I grabbed her and held her. I spoke to a saffron, a girl from her class, and said, You are shivering. Did you go swimming today? 
I should have cuddled her and stopped her shaking, and today I apologise to you, Saffron. My focus was not on the school. My daughter was safe, and I was thinking of my husband, who had not been able to make contact with. I have amazing recall even eight years after this event, and I said to my daughter, we have to go and see if Dad is okay. I grabbed her hand and we walked together up the hill and signed out from school. I remember we went to the classroom. I left her outside because she didn't want to come in and I grabbed her bag and her lunchbox. Oh my goodness, we talked all the way home as I drove and we turned up our street and we stopped. Yes, I know. We took a photo of the first house we came across. The whole front of the house had fallen down. There were neighbours out on the street. Then we came across our old house, number 35, and the owner is on the road and already in plaster, and the house has collapsed on his car in the carport, later finding his daughter had to go in to get the crutches out for him. Next stop, home. Thankfully, David joined us in the driveway. The ground below us was moaning. It was as if the energy was ready to be released. He told us his story. Eating his lunch and the wall unit fell and hit the couch and the big window shattered in front of him and the cleaner was screaming and couldn't move. Later I realised this was my husband's great escape. The couch had moved forward from where it normally stood. Had it not done so, this would have been a different story. We all gathered next door to our house in the turning bay and you could feel the ground below us just rumbling Mother Earth was not finished. As more and more of our neighbours made it home, we heard about the trauma our city had experienced. Everyone had a story about the broken city and what they'd seen. Unfortunately, this was only the beginning of the challenges we faced as our home was demolished, and that is its own story. This was a natural disaster, a magnitude 6.2 earthquake that we lived through, but 185 didn't and many people had limbs amputated. Our city was broken, and even today there are still people hurting, our mental health is compromised, and the insurance companies have no heart. That was my story to tell. My name is Robert, my tale to tell. A natural disaster. It would be hard for many who lived in Christchurch at the time of the 2010-2011 earthquakes and the thousands of aftershocks to not feel these were the worst natural disasters they had ever experienced, me included. Much has been said and much written about them and everyone's story is different as each of us bring our own perspective. My story centres around where I was when the February 2011 quake struck and how I got home. It was a fine day. I was at my workshop in Wollston, Christchurch, where my business partner and I had a business building Lotus 7-type replica cars, as well as refurbishing, modifying and maintaining cars from other makes of similar cars for customers all over the country. Unusually, our workshop was absolutely full that day with around 10 cars in the building. 
A new customer had just arrived with a chassis for a Lotus 7 replica that he had bought on TradeMe, strapped to the top of his Subaru WRX. Just as we had unloaded it, the earthquake struck. Everyone was standing outside talking while I was standing just inside the building. Bang! Everything was shaking and heaving. In moments, liquefaction started squirting out of the ground, something I'd never seen before. The initial shock threw me onto the ground with shelves of engines falling down, other items crashing around me, but amazingly, none of the cars were damaged. The falling shelves and flying stock items missed them, and to this day I have no idea how one very expensive engine, which was just sitting on a bench, remained standing. My business partner, who had two small children at the time, could think of nothing more than getting home to them, so off he went on a customer's motorcycle. Because the workshop was full, there was nowhere to put the new chassis that had just been delivered. The customer was panicking, not knowing what to do. I didn't want to leave the chassis sitting outside, so I took charge and ordered him to help me carry it around to the back of the workshop where it would be safe. Well, this caused him to hesitate. Because of all the flooding and liquefaction, he didn't want to go through it. Come on, I said, let's get going. My shoes, he said, my new shoes, I've just bought new shoes. Bugger the shoes, I said, pick the damn thing up and get moving. With that, he did, and in no time we'd carry the chassis around the back. He dropped it and raced back to his car and roared off up the road. This left me to close up and secure the building before leaving myself. Fortunately, I had a large four-wheel drive SUV at the time, and it was easy navigating the broken roads, but as soon as I hit the main road, it was slow crawling along behind many hundreds of people doing what I was trying to do, and that was to get home. Normally, I would have driven along Dyer's Road, the ring road between the Bromley oxidation ponds, but that road was split laterally down the middle for hundreds of metres and was unpassable. The drive home usually took only 15 minutes, but here I was, an hour and a half later, stressed to the max, unable to reach my wife on the phone, and not knowing how she was or if she was safe. Eventually, after slowly crawling along through the back streets of Aranui, passing many wrecked and damaged homes and avoiding sinkholes where cars and trucks had fallen in, I reached Pages Road and headed down to the intersection with Dyer's Road. There I found it deeply flooded and many cars lined up, the drivers not knowing what to do. I wasn't going to wait, so headed into the flood, taking my chances that the road underneath was still intact. As soon as I started through it, all the other cars immediately followed, no doubt reasoning that if I got through, they would too, and luckily the road was okay. I soon reached the Anzac Bridge over the Avon. Here the road had concertinaed at both ends, at least half a metre high. Over I went, no trouble, with all the other cars following. Thank God I had the SUV. Into our subdivision... Wow, what a mess. The houses were wrecked, the streets completely broken up and flooded. But our house was intact, and the footprints leading up to the front door signalled someone was home. What a relief that my wife and the dogs were safe. That day saw the beginning of the end of our small business and the start of our long fight with the government and our insurance company over compensation and expensive court action. 
Thankfully, those days are behind us now, and we have rebuilt in the lovely village of West Melton to the west of Christchurch. Even though the scars of those difficult times are still there, and we are so grateful that we can put it all behind us, we still feel sadness for those still battling for justice and settlement of their insurance claims. Just as our forefathers talked about the Great Depression of the 30s and the impact that had on their lives, so the Christchurch earthquakes have left their legacy in our lives and will remain with us always. Isabel, and this is my tale to tell. A natural disaster. So suddenly it happened again, a clumsy giant crashing into the house and shaking it from beneath its foundations. A roaring giant, throwing furniture, smashing contents, vandalizing randomly. Many things broken, except for a useless old china jug. Valuables and keepsakes gone in a 30-second spree. A house, a home, a microcosm of a city in ruins. A house that remarkably still stands, with no broken floors, no liquefaction in the house a random act in the midst of devastation. Houses with silt climbing up the walls, pushing through the floor. Roads flooded from the quake and the burst water mains that rose out of the ground. Roads and paths ripped apart growing large, uneven lumps and holes big enough to trap unsuspecting vehicles. The destruction is short, as it is severe. The giant, however, still hangs around, grumbling and stamping its feet, changing the ground to jelly. Each thundering roar and shake of continuous aftershocks cause us to remain suspended, stunned. What can we think, feel, or do? There seems to be too many demands on the senses, too many questions with no answers. We're stunned and shaken beyond anything that we have known before. Slowly, it dawns on us that there are too many essentials that have been snatched from us. We feel helpless to respond to the emergency of the situation. No electric power, 
no running water, no mainline phone or cell coverage, or any way to communicate. To find out what has happened or what is happening. Is everyone okay? How do we let people know that we've survived? What happens now? Oh, another shake. Is this the beginning or the beginning of the end? We're all in this together. Neighbours limited to help, except to support each other and stick together. Share a generator, candles to give us light. We barbecue defrosted food. And the aftershocks don't seem quite so frightening in the candlelight darkness when we're all together. My name is Karen and this is my tale to tell, the Christchurch earthquakes. It was 4.35am on Saturday 4th of September 2010 and a 7.1 magnitude earthquake was violently shaking our large two-storey home like it was a matchbox. John had been asleep only about two hours and I'm certain he would have slept through it if I hadn't sat bolt upright and said, it's an earthquake, a really big one. I honestly don't know how our house remained standing. All the bedrooms were upstairs and I thought the first floor would collapse into the floor below at any moment. I stayed there terrified until the shaking stopped. Then I went to check on our three children, Petra, 11, William, 6 and Alexander, 4. They were all awake and they were okay. Ornaments, books and photographs had fallen from bookshelves and the hutch dresser on the landing outside the bedrooms. I was so glad I'd had the hutch dresser and the large and very heavy MDF shelving unit in William's bedroom secured to the wall by a handyman some months before. We all went downstairs. Thankfully the power was still on, so we turned the TV on for the kids while we started cleaning up the mess. Later when I went into the main upstairs bathroom, it looked like a bomb had gone off. I struggled to even get the door open, as the bricks from the fallen chimney had come crashing through the skylight and were all over the floor, in the hand basin and bath, and the glass shower door was hanging by one hinge. There were bricks, dust and rubble everywhere. I realised my wedding and engagement rings were somewhere amongst all the debris littering the floor and we later found them when friends came to help in the clean-up and temporary repair of the hole in the roof where the skylight had been. There was a big chip on the edge of the cast iron claw foot bathtub and I shuddered, glad the quake had happened in the early hours of the morning. If it had been early evening the boys might have been in the bath together and the three of us would have had bricks raining down on us. Chimney bricks were all over the lawn and I remember the power company sent a couple of guys round to help us do whatever needed doing in the aftermath so they removed them for us. We were still able to live in the house at that stage but we were unprepared for the huge number of aftershocks which followed. Come away with me
Tale to Tell is produced by me, Stephanie Fruin, and engineered by Peter Rattray at Plains FM Christchurch. The theme tune was composed by Louise Ayling and performed by Louise Ayling, Peter Royal and Stephanie Fruin. If you'd like to take part in My Tale to Tell, contact mytaletotellnz at gmail.com. No life is ordinary. We all have a tale to tell. Memories of our lives.